Well, this morning does me good a lot of times after things like what we've been witnessing and seeing on the television. does me good to get back with those that are the children of God in, in the body, you know, as a group and, and just kind of proceed forward and, and yet still, uh, you know, learn from some things. And so uh, these tra- this tragedy that happened is kind of a wake-up call for a lot of us. I know it's, it's happened in other places. But uh, we just want to focus on the good Lord here this morning. I'd like to take you to the book of Daniel. I want to turn to chapter 1. I've entitled the the message, Reformation Until the End. Reformation Until the End. And the king spoke in verse 3 unto the master of his eunuchs that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed of the princes. Verse 4, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored, skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science. And such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Verse 5, And the king appointed them a daily portion of the king's meat, and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, down in verse 7, I'll use the names that most of us are familiar with, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Verse 9, Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Now, what I see in this is a test or a challenge or a competition between God's children and the king's children. And the king, I mean the earthly king. The king's meat and drink versus simple nutrition a diet of what I believe that I've studied sometimes in the past was a diet of beans of all types and simply water to drink. Now, in relationship to our study, we could say the test was between the world's kingdom versus God's kingdom, the Bible versus tradition. I think we could be safe in the comparisons. Now, it says in verse 12 of this chapter 1 of Daniel, David said, or they said, prove thy servants. I beseech thee ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants." Verse 14, so he consented to them in this manner and proved them ten days. 
And at the end of the ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge. He gave them skill in all learning, wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the days that the king had appointed, he had them brought in, into his presence. Verse 19, and the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, like Meshach, like uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in all manners of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the astrologers that were in his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Now, that was a little bit of reading, but I wanted to simply say, I see in this, and I can always, I believe God's Word is designed in such a way that no matter what we read, if we study, uh, if our intent is to understand God is saying something to us, it wasn't just that he was using the children of, uh, of Judah at this time in comparisons to the children, uh, you know, of Nebuchadnezzar's. Uh, it was the fact that this relates to me and you even in our day. And what I see in this is I see that there is uh, sometimes things that God will give us in a special time. He will give us a special understanding of His Word. There are times He will even let us understand a dream or a vision. He may let us uh, speak the understanding of that to assist in someone that has shared a certain matter in their hearts. But what I see of it also is this. The king's meat is what I would call the world's meat. And when I see here that the, the children of God's meat is his word, I see that with all of my heart. I'm not trying to make a scenario of whether or not a person should eat meat or should eat vegetables. I'm not making a scenario between the, the clean or the unclean. I'm just simply saying the world out here has its meat and they eat of that meat and they protect, partake of that meat. And then the children of God have the meat of his word and they eat and partake of that. And after the test was given, nonetheless, the children of God were ten times, what does it say? I just read that. They were ten times better. Ten times better they, they were brighter looking. They were, they were healthier looking. And it seems as if God is saying, if you will follow my word, if you will follow my word as it reaches into your heart and into your soul, he's saying here, I will keep you in health. I will protect you from the devourer. I will open you up the windows of heaven and heaven and pour you out blessings that you cannot even contain. I believe in all of our studies and teachings, we find out that it's better to serve God than it is to serve the world. Amen? Hallelujah. Now let me go over to, back up a little bit to Isaiah chapter 59. I've entitled the message, Reformation Unto the End. Now I have spoke... I have spoken the past weeks pertaining to the 500th, the 500th year, the celebration of the 500th year 
of the Reformation. We talked a little bit about Martin Luther. We've talked a little bit about some of the things that happened and how great oppression uh, came as a result of that and how that the topic of the Seventh-day Sabbath was actually brought up and there were people there that defended that and uh, yet there was uh, not much of a push to go any farther by some of the uh, probably the better known uh, reformers in that day. But I believe as we look at the Bible, we see the process of time that man has been allotted by God. We see there has been great prophets of old. We see there's been great men of old that have stood for restoration, that has stood for reformation. They have called out as a warning unto God's people that certain things were going to happen as a result of certain things they did or did not do. And nonetheless, we believe that God always in the end will prevail. Amen. Do you remember the time later on the book of Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar had had this dream and perhaps this was the reason this thing all went this direction. But uh, they saw this image, this great image, this great statue. And as a result of it, they were four world powers that were represented in this uh, earthly statue or monument or whatever you might want to call it. And Nebuchadnezzar was pronounced to be the head. I mean, he was the gold. He was, he was all of these things. And, of course, that he liked that part. And then it talks about how the different kingdoms came. But what part I really like about that is the reason I didn't want to take you there because I really didn't want to deal in that part of it. But I just want to tell you one thing. The Bible says in the time of the feet, the time of the feet and the toes there would be a kingdom that would come, that, that, that particular kingdom, to where the Lord would actually, even in the days of that kingdom, which was part iron and part clay, which would say to us, it's not as strong as it was before. We don't want to say that in the times that are called Jacob's trouble, that we will perish like so many perish there in the tortures, the racks, and the lions, uh, you know, and all of those kind of things that were used to torture uh, in the Inquisition and what have you, to torture men and cause men to lose their lives. The Bible says that the time of this kingdom, this iron and clay, it will be partly strong and partly weak because they don't mix. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I think it's going to be the time that God's children those that appear to be more healthier, and when I say that, I really mean to be more filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, keep the commandments of God, have the testimony of Jesus Christ or Yeshua. I believe God is going to cause some of the great exploits to take place to where he will actually be more, it'll be a way of being seen that God once again will deliver his children right in the midst of these trials do you understand what I'm saying? Rather than just go back to where everybody's martyred for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not saying some of that might not transpire. But I'm saying I believe that the days ahead will be where God's children are actually put on display before the world. I believe they will truly be able, if any deadly thing is given unto them, I believe they would be able, it would bring them no harm. I believe that God is going to move in spirit and power through not only the preachers and the ministers and the evangelists and the apostles, but I believe through the lay people that have their faith in Almighty God. 
We have never seen that scripture fulfilled that so many would die at this hand and 10,000 would die at that hand. I think it's maybe perhaps going to be fulfilled in the days ahead just prior to the time that the Lord comes. Now I want to look here in Isaiah chapter 59. I want to look at verse number 1. Here is the great prophet Isaiah and he's speaking to the children of God. He said, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save. Amen? (laughs) I like that. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, here where God sent the prophet Isaiah, he said, your sins have separated you between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you. That he will not hear you. Verse number 9. Therefore is judgment far from us. Neither doth justice overtake us. We wait for light but behold obscurity. For, dark, for brightness but we walk in darkness. We grope for the wall like the blind. And we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. Verse number 12, for our transgressions are multiplied before thee and our sins testify against us for our transgressions are with us and as for our iniquities or our sins, we know them. This is God's children. He's speaking to them. How does a Christian know his sins? We know our sins by the word of God. Amen. God's word is his law, and his law is his word. And even if you was to nail that to a cross, you would still have a witness that God's word still stands forever. Amen? David said, O Lord, thy words are settled in heaven forever. Now, you say, well, I... What can I do? Well, a lot of people get rid of the Old Testament and just carry the New Testament. And sometimes they find the Psalms attached in the New Testament. So when you really want to get rid of the law and God's word and his commandments, you don't want the Psalms along with your New Testament. You just want to get a, 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 a what some call the Gospels, and that's the only thing you want to hold on to. But listen to me. In every age... In every dire situation, at every time. These were the children of Israel in Daniel's days that had gone into captivity. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had come. He had taken them, and not only them, but many of the holy things that pertained to God. He had taken them captive. But do you know what? They knew it had been prophesied that would happen unless they changed their ways. There was still a witness, though. They were still men like these great prophets that have shared with the children of God where they were doing wrong and where they were doing right. How God's blessings would come and how they would lose God's blessing. He says in verse number 12, again, our transgressions are multiplied before thee, Lord. He said in verse 13, in transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, verse 14, and judgment, he said, is turned away backwards, justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity or justice cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, 
And he that departeth from evil maketh himself a what? A prey. The little church. Now we would understand as Sabbatarians and those that believe in all the commandments of God, we would understand that those people uh, either did not have the knowledge or they were being taught against the knowledge of God's Word that we believe we have grown into and God has brought as a, a stronghold upon our heart. We believe that they still, if they were born again, if they were washed in the blood, if they professed the good Lord to forgive them of their sins, we believe they are of the church of God. Now, that's just the way we believe that. So we're not isolating ourselves because of our truth. We're isolating ourselves because there's no other place for us to go that has the truth that many of us hold to be dear in our hearts. And so this I want you to understand that what I am speaking of here. But many times men... Men are prey, they are a prey because they stand for the unadulterated Word of God. They are a prey, they are a target, is what we would say. Now, I want to share something, I brought a few books this morning. By the way, let me say, because as I, as I study into the Reformation afresh, and as I've studied in times past, nothing will, uh, will help you in these days since all of these things has happened any more than the Word of God and history. Now, these books that I have are pretty old. I had a lot more old books, and when we moved from the house just a few years ago and built the new house, I lost a lot of the old books I had. But you can see they're very old and they're very fragile. Oftentimes, I don't go back into them because of the simple reason just turning the pages uh, can cause things like this right here. The binding on them has departed. Does that make the word, not, uh, you know, of any less avail? No. I want to share some word with you this morning, if I can, from an old Bible that probably was written perhaps 100 and maybe 120, uh, not a Bible, but a book, uh, about history of the church. Now, I want to read here just a few, few pages. During Christ's earthly life, he is our example. He was a faithful observer of the Sabbath. Not a little of his ministry, however, was devoted to correcting the false and erroneous ideas respecting the Sabbath. And then it says, as an institution designed to be a delight and a blessing, it had ceased to be in the days of Christ's appearing. Instead of one of gloom, unreasonable restrictions, hardship, and oppression, all references to the seventh-day Sabbath throughout the New Testament are made as to a still-existing institution and as one still observed by Christians. The observers of the seventh day, therefore, included Adam, the ancient godly patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the faithful and obedient in Israel, the prophets, Christ and the apostles, and the early Christian church, all, in fact, who, who feared and obeyed and worshipped God during the time covered by the records of inspiration. Such being the record of the seventh day during the first 4,000 years and more of this world's history, it may be asked, how, can, how come it to be so generally set aside since another day elevated in its place and given its sacred honors? The Scripture nowhere attributes this work to God, to Christ, or to the apostles or the prophets. 
Now, this is 150 years. We think sometimes because we live in, I used to say 19 so-and-so, but good Lord, I mean, I've passed that, and I'm living now in way on up there, the 21st century, yeah. And so, you know, you think to yourself, did they, were they very smart back in that day? Did they know all the things we know about God back in that day? Well, I think you know the answer to that. And it's just finding it in some of the books that wants to give you details of history that was was in those days. Now, they likewise, the scriptures, foretell of a restoration of the Sabbath before the close of the gospel dispensation, just prior to the final deliverance of God's people from this world of sin and bondage and oppression. As Israel, during the long sword journey and servitude in Egypt, largely forgot the Sabbath, were in fact commanded and required to work on the Sabbath. And we find that today, don't we find that today? We find a young man today, him and his family, who have devoted themselves from the way they used to live into not only trusting in God, receiving God, but taking a real test of faith by trying to honor God's seventh-day Sabbath. We have many things to say about the Sabbath. This sermon is not going to just deal with that entirely. But uh, oftentimes, I, I was reminded of something that this little church done years ago. We had people that say, well, Brother Lee, you preach faith. You believe in the Holy Spirit. You believe in the attributes of the gifts and all of these things. How come you went on television and radio, and yet the only thing you talked about basically was God's law and the seventh-day Sabbath being such a crucial part of God's law? And I, I had to tell so many people, listen, why do I need to preach the same thing that everybody else is preaching when we believe in restoration, we believe in doing something that God has really commanded us to do, and uh, so why would we spend 30 minutes uh, lifting up, you know, just another You know, another topic, it wasn't that we were putting the Sabbath above anything else. We were putting the Sabbath out there in a dark area and a dark realm to lift up God's Word. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because there's many that will say they preach the full gospel, but they don't really preach the full gospel. Amen? And so it was a challenge, and God has challenged all of our hearts to be faithful even unto the end. There was a reformation, yes. But the Reformation, as far as I can see, wasn't settled there in those days. Wasn't settled there because the the church began to line up with Rome as they did. The, The Reformation, I believe, is still to be taken place. Now, let me give you one more little place out of this book. Uh, I'm trying to briefcase here a little. Uh, A study of the origin The nature and the object of the Sabbath therefore seems to be eminently proper and fitting just now, if not actually forced upon us by the very circumstances which surround us. It is the object of this book to present a correct and complete history of the Sabbath from creation to the present time. In this new version, in this new enlarged edition, he says here, or the the portion that deals with the secular history of the Sabbath, the part having been thoroughly revised and rewritten, uh, this guy by the name of Hamburg, who for years has given careful study to this subject and has access to the great libraries of Europe. In this latter part, 
Considerable space has been devoted to showing the several steps by which the Sunday festival gradually usurped the place of the seventh day, the only weekly Sabbath known in the Bible. Now, so I've showed you and shared with you just this a little bit. I mean, there's so many fragments in here. This book is pretty thick, but it's fallen apart. Its pages are worn. But I go to another book entitled The Sabbath of Man, but I got to tell you something. This book is older, maybe 100, 150, 175 years, and you can see the pages are worn and tattered. I've studied it a lot, but can I give something to you? This is not, this is not holding up the Seventh-day Sabbath. This is holding up the so-called Christian Sabbath. Do you know, I'm, I need to remind myself from time to time, that Sunday blue laws have never been taken off of the books almost in any state. They've not been taken off the books. Just waiting for a time where, where perhaps they will reenact them. And not only would you be forced to do, what about the buying and the selling? That, that we talked about. Uh, if you couldn't buy, let's say for instance that you couldn't buy nor sell and they would go ahead and attach that to you couldn't do any transactions on the first day of the week. And if you were a true Sabbath believer, you wouldn't buy houses on the first day of the week. You wouldn't do a lot of things like buy a new car. I've done some of those things, and I've paid the price for those things. And it wasn't really good. And so what I'm saying is to you is this. What if you had to only had five days out of seven where you could really do what you wanted to do? Do you understand what I'm saying? You could go to church, you know, like we do now. We're free to go to church. But uh, that hasn't always been the case and so I thought I would just share a little bit of the history of this little old book and, 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 and let you get a little bit of the enlightening of it. Now, let me see here. Let me get over here to the page that, and I could have gone anywhere in this book because I guarantee you this book is just filled with uh, so much here. But let me start here on this page number 76. America, the British, and the Continental the statesmen, the doctors, the jurists, the manufacturers, the travelers who give unaminous testimony that health, mind, and morals and liberty are required that one day in seven shall be legally protected against business and public pleasures. And we know if you look back in history, you'll find out that they were forbidden to do so many things on the first day of the week. And now that has this has reference in this book how the process of this took place uh, at the uh, so-called Reformation time. And it was simply was because that those that didn't want the Sabbath, there were many Sabbath keepers in those days, but they just didn't have enough pull. They just didn't have enough uh, whatever to get this to prevail. And that's what I said about Luther. Luther is given most of the credit for at least being one of the great reformers. And he did do a lot. He saw that the Bible got back into the hands of the people, that Bibles were printed and things. He got a good move going, a lot of things. But R Luther didn't ever, didn't ever actually quit most of the things that was involved in Catholicism. He was working... Uh, from the inside, and the people that was working on the outside, they became prey to the things that they felt like was right. Now, I want to read a little bit more. 
Now, this was in, uh, actually, this one part is referring to 1862. The president, commander-in-chief of the Army and the Navy, desires and enjoins the orderly observance of the Sabbath by the officers and the men in the military and naval service. When I first got a hold of this book, I thought, goodness gracious, I got this old book that's a history of the Sabbath, and now I've got the Sabbath, uh, the Sabbath for man, and I thought, goodness gracious, I'm really getting armed with some real good stuff. But you know what? Every place that's talking about the Sabbath is not the seventh-day Sabbath in this book. This book is talking about the first day of the week, and they're calling it the Sabbath. So you remember that when I'm reading a few little excerpts from it here. So the president, uh, he desires that the Navy and uh, everything honor the Sabbath by the officers and the men in the military and the Navy service. The importance for a man and a beast of the prescribed weekly rest, the sacred rights of the Christian soldiers and sailors, becoming a becoming difference to the best sentiment of a Christian of the Christian people, and a due regard for the divine will, demand that Sunday labor in the army and navy be reduced to the measure of strict necessity. The dis- discipline and character of the national forces should not suffer, nor cause they defend to imperil because uh, they defend to be imperiled by the. Uh, Something of the day of the name of the Most High. At this time of public distress, adopting the words of Washington in 1776, men may find enough to do in the service of God and their country without abandoning themselves to vice and immorality. The first general order issued by the father of this country after the Declaration of Independence indicates the spirit in which our institutions were founded and should ever be defended. The general hopes and trust that every officer and man will endeavor to live and act as becomes a Christian soldier defending the dearest rights and liberties of his country. President Garfield, whose name is so often associated with those of Washington and Lincoln, was like them in regard for the Sabbath. At the Chicago Convention, at which General Garfield was subsequently nominated president, on Saturday night, many wanted to go on with a balloting after midnight. And many pressed Judge H-O-A-R, the chairman, to ignore the Sabbath and let the convention proceed. But the judge said, never. This is a Sabbath-keeping nation, and I cannot preside over this convention one minute after 12 o'clock. Well, didn't we study and read in the Bible that this whore, this Babylonian system, this uh, hierarchy, this vicar of Christ would think to change the times and the laws. You can find it in history. A person can find it in history. But do you know what happens in most of the churches? They're lulled to sleep. They love to sleep spiritually in the church while they're being entertained. They're never challenged. In fact, if you challenge someone concerning some of the truths of God, whether it be a feast day or whether it be a Sabbath day or whether it be the resurrection or whether it be a holiday or whether it be anything, you are shown the door rather quickly. Amen? Yes, you are. The Bible says it's not just those that are doing that kind of teaching, but the Bible says the people have itching ears and they have it the way they want to have it. And so oftentimes, you know, we just, we don't go back in. Sometimes I say to myself, you know, there's other things I would perhaps rather teach. There's other things I would perhaps rather talk about. 
But sometimes the reason history repeats itself is because we don't know nothing about history. Amen? Sometimes we think, well, that's just not important for this day. I want to go to another page here that I've got real quickly. And it says, as to the Seventh-day worshipers, Jews, Seventh-day Baptists, and Seventh-day Adventists, they formed together, but seven-tenths. Now, this you've got to remember, this was years and years ago. They formed together, but seven-tenths of one percent of the population of the United States and are still fewer in Great Britain. And so, except in a few places where they live together in considerable numbers, they have little influence on Sabbath observance. If all the foreign elements should be counted against the Sabbath, that's the first day of the week, it is but 15% of the population in the United States and much less in Great Britain. And so as no controlling force except in a few large cities of former country. But this influence, even in large cities, is usually the, the, uh, just, just a loud minority. It says, for instance, Cincinnati, which is which is uh, surrendered to Germans of the baser sort. It is but two-fifths German in its population, and many of these are in sympathy with American friends of order rather than with the Antichrist of socialism and sensualism. There are not a few places where this dispensation of margins over masses exist and where the long-suffering native majority need to prove that they have some rights which the foreign minority are bound to respect. And then it goes on, it says, even in Europe, vandals reinforced by savage Americans should in any city outnumber the virtuous citizens, native and foreign, they can and should be overruled by the state. Now, here's where most people don't understand this. Should there be a separation between church and state? Well, I believe there does need to be. I believe we need the state for our civil authorities, our militaries, and such as that. But I don't believe our, our courts should hand down rulings on how one professes his faith. That's just the way I see it. But all through history, if you go back down through history and you read any of the history and any of the history books, you will find that the church was just as much involved in the economics and in the military and the decrees that came forth just as much as they were in religion because it was church and state. It was church and state. If you didn't follow the state church system, you were persecuted. Do you understand what I'm saying? You find that in all the countries. I've got books that shows it happened all in France. I've got them that shows it happened in Italy. You know, there were a lot of Sabbath keepers scattered around the world. And they come under great persecution, and many of them gave way by death, and many of them gave way because it was just too hard to fight against. And that is, that is an awful thing. But could it ever happen again? Sure it could. Doesn't the Bible really lead us to believe that one day there will be a one-world system, a one-world monetary system, and it, it begins to tell us all of these things? Sure it does. We just have to read it a little bit, and we have to hear it just a little bit to remind us that it's probably closer than we think. Now, so in other words, if you are in the majority, if you are in the majority for a certain thing, then that ought to, the state ought to ordain that. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I've said for so long 
The reason, and it didn't just happen now. It's been going on and going on and going on. The reason that you see the great influx of so many that's coming from south of the border, it's not that they have anything to add to this country. It's just simply that the numbers, if it was pressed to be, that the numbers would certainly go in the favor of the Romanish system. Do you believe what I'm saying this morning? You need to consider it. Because it's a reason none of the judges have put a stop to it, Democrats or Republicans. I can quote you where Bill Clinton made a real nice speech that said, we need to close our borders. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, that was a good, nice speech. I can give you that from Republicans and Democrats and Independents. It sounds good. But underneath it all, in the shadow government, it is not going to happen. We're going to receive whatever lines up mostly with the world system. And that doesn't mean all those people go to church and keep the things of Rome. But if they are going to go, where are they going to go? Yeah, they're going to go there. They're going to support that if push comes to shove. That's where they would go. And so the mentality of it is if the majority, if the majority believes in a certain thing, then they believe the state should enact laws uh, to you know, enable that. Now, let me read you this little place. Another element of hope lies in the fact that in spite of repeal efforts in the United States to repeal a seriously modified, they seriously modified the Sabbath laws, they still remain on the statute books of every state, except, believe this or not, at that time. You know, it was the only state where you could, it actually wasn't on the books that you had to keep the Sunday laws? California are good friends in California. California don't like nothing. <laughs> That's, I'm just generalizing, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying they're not believers in California. I'm just simply saying California didn't have, at that time when this was written, they didn't have many of the so-called Sunday blue laws. Uh, it just wasn't there. Uh, every other state has a Sabbath law. And it says here, because I guess Louisiana was... Uh, well, anyway, it says every state has a Sabbath law, even Louisiana, which is so often misquoted as the only state having none. Its Sabbath law is indeed the weakest of any, but it appoints Sundays with New York's Washington's birthday, 4th of July, Christmas, Good Friday, days of public rest. These were all the Sabbath, it was saying, was given just as much of a law to be enforced as these other Holidays. Now, when I'm briefing, I'm going to leave something out. And I'm going to take something that I didn't intend to do, but I don't want to keep you on this very long. In short, Louisiana had a local option, Sunday law, leaving the decree of observance to be decided by each city and each town itself. In other words, it wasn't just a state law. It's kind of like what we're hearing about the gun laws and the immigrant laws. Uh, they were people that took issues and sides in, in local governments that either did or did not enforce some of these Sunday laws. They forbid on Sunday common labor and traffic, public and noisy amusements, and whatever is likely to disturb the quiet and the good order of the day. They made Sunday a legal day. The courts and legislative halls and government offices would be closed. Exceptions were made in Sunday laws by some legislators. They were giving some courts to make different options on that. 
But in any case, the laws are not well enforced at that time, but it is an element of hope that in spite of efforts to almost every state to repeal or seriously modify these laws, they have been retained on the statute books, and that is as well with them as it is. The last little paragraph here. Another element of hope lies in the fact shown in Dorchester's problem of religious project, progress a recognized authority in statistics that 20% of the people in the United States are members and 50% or more are ardents or evangelical churches, nearly all of them bring in favor of observing the Sunday Sabbath not as a holiday but as a holy day. We almost find that to be unanimous. Somebody said, well, Brother Lee, that it's not working right now. It doesn't mean it's not on the books. Do you see what I'm saying? It was never repealed. So when the, when the Reformation come about, and there were certainly those that were honoring Sunday as the Sabbath, uh, they never repealed any of that. They only brought up the issue whether they should keep Saturday or Sunday, and it just didn't seem like there were, the numbers were there. So therefore... They just decreed. It, it was kind of a, an issue that I think maybe could have had some merit in the Reformation, but it ended there. I want to go to, back to the Bible, and I want to look at Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. And I'll read rather fast, and probably a lot of what I had prepared today I'm not going to go into. But Isaiah chapter 58, real quick, verse 1. Cry loud, the prophet said, Spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Show my people what? Their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. Verse 6. Is not this fast the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Then, he said in verse 8, shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health. We talked a little bit about both here this morning. And thine health shall spring forth speedily. And thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. Verse 11. For the Lord shall guide thee continually. He shall satisfy thy soul in drought. And make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden. And like a spring of water whose waters fail not. Verse 12. And they that shall be of thee shall build what? What does the Bible say? They shall build the old waste places. They shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. I love talking about Jesus to people. I love preaching about Jesus and Him being the Savior, Yeshua, the Savior of the world. That's a great thing. But I can't just preach the milk of the doctrine. Do you understand what I'm saying? you got to preach some meat. Because if the baby never grows up, 
I said if the baby never grows up, it will stay a baby. It will be retarded in some way. you got to get the baby eventually. There's a time for the milk and there's a time for the meat, bless God. When the king Nebuchadnezzar said to the eunuch, I want you to go out there and find me the prime meat out there. I want you to find me of the, of the king's people. And I want you to also look into these children of Judah. And I want you to find me somebody that can tell the king the thoughts in his heart. Bless God. I mean, it's pretty powerful. Pretty good stuff. He said, and they shall build the old waste places. Brother, I'm telling you, you can't build something on any other foundation than the foundation which has already been laid. If you want to put a foundation out for the first day of the week, taking the place of the seventh day of the week, and transferring that holiness, you are building upon sinking sand. Do you understand what I'm saying? How many of those that have been so-called reformers, how many of those that have been Protestants, protesters against the things of the Catholic Church will ever stand up before their congregation and tell them that? I've had people come to me and they said, I... I asked my preacher before, is there a difference? Is, is, this, is Sunday the Sabbath or is uh, seventh day the Sabbath? Which day should I be keeping? And you'd be so amazed at the res- things that have been told unto them. The Bible says, now if you're going to be the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the paths to dwell in, if you're going to build the old waste places, isn't it amazing how in chapter, this chapter in verse 13 it says, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thine own pleasure on my holy day, if thou call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, Honorable and shall honor him not doing thine own ways nor finding thy own pleasure nor speaking thine own words. Then shall thou delight thyself in the Lord and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and I will feed thee with the heritage of Jacob. Isn't that powerful? For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. I'm telling you something. There is food out there There is food out there for the Christian that they know not of. He said, if thou. He said in one place right there in that verse, he said, if thou call the Sabbath holy. Not the Sabbath of this book, which I regard, and obviously before I got it, can you just imagine how many people read this book? How many thought that this book was teaching them about the Sabbath day when that book was not teaching about the Sabbath day? But can I say something to you? It's just as much history as this one is the history of the real and the correct Sabbath day. So we thank God for the liberty of the press. (laughs) We thank God for freedom of speech. People might stand up and tell you they hate you. They might call you every name in the book. But if you're a child of God, you're going to let it fall to the wayside. You're not going to dwell on it. You're not going to build on it. And as our brother said, just think about something to such a degree that you would commit a vile act as this man committed. He deserves not not really, I mean, by the law, he, he, he will deserve a trial and a uh, you know a hearing but if I went back into the way God looked at some of these things he is worthy of death immediately but that might be too good for him do you know what I'm saying I agree the devil got a hold of his mind but brothers I'll tell you something 
You, you've got to stay off of those little things that the devil throws your way. You've got to not let them hold you down. You are healed by His stripes, bless God. You're set free by His blood. You are sanctified by His word, bless God. Stand on the word of God. Stand on it. Look back in history. Do you want your children to go back to some of these things we've talked about? And I have just skimmed the surface. You couldn't preach everything that needs to be preached about the history of God's children. You couldn't preach it from the now to the time the Lord comes back and do it real justice. Because there's so many things the devil has done that has been anti the good things of God. Now I brought another book and I want to close with this. I just want to let you know something about uh, the early settlers as they left England and Scotland and Ireland and certain places and they came to the United States and when they came to the United States uh, many of them uh, really enjoyed some, some true things. I thought the Lord had really uh, given them some, some good thoughts and some good things to hold on to talks about the Pilgrim Fathers. It says the English reformers, while renouncing the doctrines of Romanism, had retained many of its forms. Thus, though the authority and the creed of Rome were rejected, not a few of her customs and ceremonies were incorporated into the worship of the Church of England. It was claimed that these things were not matters of conscience, that though they were commanded in Scripture and hence were not uh, commanded in Scripture and not hence were non-essential, yet not being forbidden, they were not intrinsically intrinsically evil. Their observance tended to narrow the gulf which separated the Reformed churches from Rome, and it was urged that they would promote the acceptance of the Protestant faith by Romanists. To the conservative and compromising, these arguments seemed conclusive. But there was another class that did not so judge the fact that these customs tended to bridge over the chasm between Rome and the Reformation. They looked upon them as badges of slavery from which they had been delivered to which they had no dispensation, dispensation, dispensation to return. They reasoned that God has in His words established the regulations of governing His worship and that men are not at liberty to add to these or distract from them. The very beginning of the great apostasy was in seeking, seeking to supplement the authority of God by that of the church, Rome. Rome began by enjoining, uh, enjoying, joining what God had not forbidden, and she ended up forbidding what he had explicitly enjoined. Now, that, let me get this right here because I, oh, here's where I want to go. Listen to this. It was the desire for liberty of conscience that inspired the pilgrims to brave the perils of a long journey across the sea, to endure hardships and dangers of the wilderness and with God's blessing to lay on the shores of America the foundation of a mighty nation. Yet honest and God-fearing as they were, the pilgrims did not yet comprehend the great principle of religious liberty. The freedom which they sacrificed so much to secure for themselves, they were not, they were not equally, equally ready to grant to others. The doctrine that God has committed to the church, the right to control the conscience and to define and, and punish heresy, is one of the most deeply rooted of papal errors. While the reformers rejected the creed of Rome, they were not entirely free from her spirit of intolerance. A kind of state church was formed. 
all the people being required to contribute to the support of the clergy and the magistrates were being authorized to suppress heresy. Thus, the secular power was in the hands of the church. It was not long before these measures led to the inevitable result, which was persecution. Eleven years after the planting of the first colony, and I like this, Roger Williams, you need to remember this name. You've probably studied it in school. We used to, but I had forgotten some of this. Eleven years after the planting of the first colony, Roger Williams came to the New World. And what so few in his time had yet seen that this freedom was the inalienable right of all is what he sought to bring across. Williams was the first person in modern Christendom to establish civil government on the doctrine of the liberty of conscience. He declared it to be the duty of the magistrate to restrain crime, but to never control the conscience. The public or the magistrates may decide, he said, what is due from man to man, but when they attempt to prescribe a man's duties to God, they are out of place and there can be no safety. For it is clear that if the magistrates has this power, he may decree one set of options or beliefs today and another tomorrow. Well, I just read to you what the pontiff recently said. He's saying they ain't no heaven and they ain't no hell and they ain't no purgatory. I say, hey, listen, this guy's going to get out of there. He's going to be put out of there real quick because that cost purgatory is a moneymaker. Amen? We've discussed that. You understand that. And so this pontiff has said that. So what I'm hearing from this writing right here is what he said, what William said was that today they may have this law against your religious freedom, and tomorrow they might change it to the other side. You see, God don't change. I like what this guy is saying here. He said, Attendance at the service of the established church was required under a penalty of fine and imprisonment. Williams reprobated the law. Uh, The worst statue in the English code was that which did but enforce attendance upon the parish church. No one should be bound to worship, he says, or be added to maintain a worship against his own consent. What, exclaimed his antagonist, amazed at his tenets, is not the labor worthy of his hire? Yes, replied he, from them that hire him. Roger Williams was respected and beloved as a faithful minister, a man of rare gifts, of unbending integrity and true benevolence. Yet his steadfast denial of the right of civil magistrates to the authority over the church and his demand for religious liberty could not be tolerated. The application of this new doctrine, it was urged, would subvert the, would sub, subvert the fundamental state and government of the country. He was sentenced to banishment from the colonies. And finally, to avoid arrest, he was forced to flee amid the cold and storms of winter into an unbroken forest. For 14 weeks, he says, I was sorely tossed in a bitter season, not knowing what bread or bed did mean but the ravens he said listen to this he said the ravens fed me in the wilderness and a hollow tree often served for shelter you think God won't take care of his children you think God didn't take care of the great man Elijah and the great man Elisha they were sought after to be killed so was Jeremiah all of these great prophets they were sought after but he said it's hard sometimes for us to believe the miracles of somebody raising from the dead. It's hard for us to believe. Now, it's in the Word. Hard to us to believe that God would command the ravens to bring us our meat. 
And we would be dependent upon them. And God would feed us there by the raven for as long as it took. And then when one day the Bible says the brook dried up, God had another way that he would deliver his children. The fact of the matter is this. God will protect his children. Amen. We need to protect our people. We need to protect our beliefs. But we don't need the civil governments to enforce our beliefs. Do you understand that? You may be right. You may have a right to your own decisions. But you don't have a right to enforce them. Do you understand what I'm saying? So God took care of this man. I've got two more paragraphs. Making his way at last after months of change and wandering to the shores and to a bay. He there laid the foundation of the first state of modern times that in the fullest sense recognized the right of religious freedom. The fundamental principles of Roger Williams' colony was this. Listen to this. That every man should have liberty to worship God according to the light of his own conscience. His little state, Rhode Island, became the asylum of the oppressed. It increased and prospered until its foundational principles, civil and religious liberty, became the cornerstone of the American Republic. In that grand old document, which our forefathers set forth as the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, they declared, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and the constitution guarantees in the most explicit terms the inviolability of conscience no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office of public trust under the United States Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof I look at history And, brother, I find some things that I can latch on to, that I can see God's hand, God's hand protecting his children. How long will that continue before things could get worse? We only have the mercy and grace of God. Will God take his children out a little bit early? Well, he could. Won't be no secret thing, but if he takes out his children, it'll be because he desires to do it that way. There's some he'll leave behind? Yes, they will. Will they... Will they actually be magnified as those that uh, uh, can do the mighty works of God before people and, and literally God will honor the voice like he did Elijah and Elisha? Perhaps so. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that at least what God has done before, he just might do again. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Nothing greater than religious freedom. Nothing greater to be able to worship God as you so see. And uh, that means all religion, even Islam. But now when they or the Catholic Church comes down to forcing by law and government, stand your ground. You have that right to stand to God's word, to not bend or not bow. That's your choice. And I hope that we're strong enough in the Lord that we will say, do what you want to me like many martyrs, but I will not bow. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand together. Brother Bob, I want you, if you will.